some more John Chuckery. We've heard so much about you. Sports Radio 92.9 The Game. Well, more John Collins uh, rumors. <laughs> Rob Tribble in for a John Chuckery. I wonder how this makes John Collins feel, though. He is always rumored to be traded. I mean, vivid, tangible, frequent rumors. Yet he still goes out and plays, sometimes maddeningly inconsistent other times. As I get so excited, I knock my headphones out of the jack. Hold on. I get so fidgety, I just knock stuff around. It's like I, I just get excited. What can I say? Well, it seems like the Hawks have a ridiculously high asking price. And the Hawks are reportedly looking for a trade package like the Jazz received for Donovan Mitchell and Rudy Gobert, which was uh, a King's ransom. Quote, what you're seeing with Collins now is that the Hawks want him to be treated like an all-star. They want a big return for Collins, not quite like the Rudy Gobert or Donovan Mitchell trades, but something in that neighborhood, according to an Eastern Conference executive, who shall remain nameless because that's how those things always work. Quote, and everyone else looks at him like he's a guy who's owed $100 million over the next four years and is having the worst year of his career. Well, he certainly does bring a lot of things to the table, but the problem is it doesn't seem like the Hawks get him the ball very often. And I hope the Hawks uh, have settled down. I, I, think, I, hope, I hope that um, the fact that they did go 2-2 two and two on that Western road trip does something for that team. Of course, they lose to Golden State, an undermanned Golden State, no Steph Curry. Still lost in double overtime. Get a nice win against the uh, Sacramento Kings where the box scores were basically identical except for one quarter. The Hawks and Kings both scored 30 points in the first quarter. Hawks outscored them 31-28 in the second. Then both teams had, what, 29 points in the third, then 30 in the fourth, and the Hawks get away with a three-point victory. Then you stink up the joint against the Lakers, and then you get a victory over the Clippers the other night. Now you're home and you take on a team that you've had some good luck with for whatever reason. I think the Hawks are 2-0 and against Milwaukee this year, if I'm not mistaken. So you got the Bucks coming in, and then on Friday you go again to Indianapolis. And that was the side of one of the most disappointing games I'd seen all year. The Hawks looked like they just looked listless, lethargic, had no interest in being there. I mean, they acted like that whole night was spent in a dental chair or something. So you got a short road trip after that one home game tomorrow. You go to the Pacers, take on the Raptors on Saturday. That's a back-to-back. Come home on Monday against the uh, Miami Heat have given you trouble. And the Miami Heat pretty much uh, cracked the Trey the Trey Young code last year. I want to give you a couple of stats real quick and a few numbers here, Rob Tribble. I, I want I this for my crack research team of uh, consisting of one lone Dylan Matthews. So I'm going to shout out a couple people here. On Twitter, Lauren L. Williams, she now covers the Hawks for the AJC, I believe it is. Or it's either the AJC or Athletic. I'll let you know here in a second. Um, the AJC. Okay. So she said um, she asked John Collins what, you know, he had a – he had a out of four of the last five games, the past couple of games, he had 20-plus points. And he she asked John Collins what he attributes to him scoring 20-plus points in four of those last five games during that stretch. And DeJounte Murray actually jumped in and answered the question and said, quote, giving him the ball. Thank you. Give him the ball. Yes. You can't take five shots, seven shots. You got to be in double-figure shot attempts so he's getting the ball. Then 
But wait, there's more. Caleb Johnson, our guy Caleb Johnson, ran some numbers. So shout out to Caleb. And he put a correlation between J.C.'s shots attempts to the Hawks' win. So the Hawks are 10-3, and 10-3 when John takes between 10 and 15 field goal attempts. Really? Yes. That's a great number. They are 0-4 when he takes more than 15. And finally, they are 5-8 and when he takes less than 10. So the sweet spot, he needs between 10 and 15 shots a game. Hey, man. That's the sweet spot. Good job, Caleb Johnson. Yeah. Crunching the numbers. He did it. That sounds perfect, doesn't it? Don't give him too many shots, but yeah. you got to give him enough. You got to well, give him one, some, though. You got to give him enough to where at least he can get get in the flow. You exactly, know? You get shots. a rhythm. And it's amazing. That's what I've been saying. He's been madly inconsistent this year because they're not getting him the damn ball. Exactly. And I still I like this these top three guys: Murray, Trey, John Collins. That's a solid trio right there. If you just if you can just somehow calibrate a little better and get John Collins more shots. John Collins can be a great, a, a great third option on any championship team. You just got to get him the ball. Give him the damn ball. That's it. That's all. Hmm. Well, there you go. So hopefully they're going to feel some momentum, especially winning that last game of a West Coast swing, because the West Coast has not been very kind to the uh, to the Atlanta Hawks, to say the least. But there, there you go, right there. But maybe now, I don't know, I, I still think that uh, is Nate going to even last till the end of the season? He's already alluded to be going to retire. He, apparently, what's that, guy's, what's that guy with a funny name that uh, covers the NBA? Adrian Wojnarowski? No, the, no, no, no. no. Woj- Shams? Yeah, Shams. Yeah, Shams yeah. Sharania. In November, he reported that uh, Nate strongly considered resigning. So where's Nate's head at right now? He certainly... He just kind of stands there with that same look on his face the entire game with his arms folded. Is he even happy being there? And I and we've heard I mean we've heard little things here and there about interior things within that locker room and the culture seems kind of toxic. I hope I hope that stuff's alleviated. And we were talking to Steve Holman about that a couple of weeks ago when we were broadcasting at State Farm before the Brooklyn game. And Steve Holman said, Well, you know, the players tune out all that noise about what people think is going on in that locker room. Okay, that's fine. But I also kind of uh, can, I also compared that to the fact, think about it. If there's that one house in the neighborhood where you always hear yelling and screaming, yes, they're tuning out what other people think because they're too busy yelling and screaming at each other. So it doesn't necessarily mean everything's copacetic in that locker room. And I still hope that uh, the maturity that I, I think Trey Young does need to get to, I hope that's happening. Because I, I do not want to see them in a play-in game by any stretch of the imagination. And I had high hopes coming into the season, and you start hearing all the nonsense going on. That, that unidentified NBA coach saying, well, Trey doesn't like the coach, coach doesn't like Trey, some of the teammates don't like Trey. And there was a, a well-known athlete in this town that plays another sport that came out and said, Trey's the problem in that locker room. He's a little B, is what he called it. I'm not going to divulge who that was because that was an off-the-record conversation, but... He's a well-known athlete in this town. They all kind of know each other, know what the temperature is. So hopefully all that can just be remedied. Because it, it's nice to have this winning feeling between the Braves and Georgia. Falcons, I, I'm highly optimistic about the Falcons. And now I'm kind of in this, 
torturous, low-expectation purgatory with the Hawks. I expected a lot more this year, and certainly anything can happen. You saw what happened two years ago after Lloyd Pierce was fired, Nate comes in, and they go on that magical run. Completely sur- surprised everybody. Does this team have that type of explosiveness in them? I hope so, because I certainly like this, the top three starters. Now, Clint Capella, what is his injury anyway? Good Lord. That's a guy that's so talented, but you can't keep him on the floor. He's always in street clothes. A calf strain. The calf strain. The calf, we, we got some weak calves around here, We got man. some weak calves, man. Trey set out the Brooklyn game because he got kicked in the calf. And I calf had, I had a big problem with that, yep. I had, I had a big problem with that, but oh, oh well. Calves yeah. are holding us back right now. Calf, calf contusions yep. and calf strains. Not the Cleveland calves. No. The uh, calves, calf contusion, yep. And Clint Capel is a nice piece, too, if he can just stay on the floor, you know. It'd be nice to have a maybe another three, a guy that can create his own shot, a good shooter perhaps to supplement this roster. Maybe another big, I don't know. A Congo, is he necessarily the answer? No, he's, not he's a serviceable. Center. He's not. He's not a pure center. We no, keep he's a trying four. to use him as center. Yeah. He's a forward. He's a he, yes, he's a four. End up seemed to be prone to foul trouble too. But uh, but the funny thing is though, he uniquely matches up well with Giannis, which is weird because Giannis even talked about he's like the only guy that's really willing to go after me. So Okongwu is not afraid to mix it up, and that's the magic of the NBA. If you think, well, this team's an eight seed and this team's a one seed. Automatically, the one seed's going to beat the eight seed. No, not necessarily. And the example is that I think uh, when Mike Budenholzer led the Hawks to the uh, playoffs, I think it was his first year. Hawks came in as an eight seed. Who was the number one seed? The Pacers. But it was a horrible matchup for the Pacers. The Hawks just matched up really well with the Pacers. Took them to seven games. Could even go back to uh, when we when Mike Woodson was the coach and we went against the Celtics. They eventually. Won the series, but right. we took them to seven games. That's a good one, yep. Sometimes it's just all about matchups. You see all the time how, you know, I, I go back to the Braves comparison. For a long time, the Montreal Expos tortured the Braves. They just couldn't beat them. And the Expos were pretty mediocre except for the strike short in 94 season when they probably would have won the World Series. Florida Marlins are that way too. For whatever reason, there are just certain matchups that favor a seeming underdog when in essence they really aren't when you – dissect the uh, matchups as a whole. So, uh, Hawks are looking for a King's ransom for John Collins. Personally, he's one of my favorite Hawks. I'd hate to see him go. And you broke it down the way um, Caleb Johnson did. Give me those numbers again. So, the Hawks are 10-3 and three when John takes between 10 and 15 field goal attempts, 0-4 when he takes more than 15 Five and eight when he takes less than ten. So he needs between ten and fifteen shots. That's the sweet spot. And the Hawks are going to the NBA Finals. I mean, as simple as that. (laughs) But, I mean, the numbers don't lie. Nope. And Jonte Murray said, we need you to just get him the damn ball. Because certainly, if you don't get enough shots, you can't get in the flow of the game. That's like a running back that gets five carries. And that's it. No, he needs to get lathered up and get in the game. And then, boom, he's off and running. You got to get, that's how you do the same sort of principle involved. So, Again, Hawks taking on the Bucks tomorrow. Then they go to Indianapolis and then a quick jaunt over uh, to Toronto for a, a back-to-back on a Friday and Saturday. I thought they are going to get rid of back-to-backs. I think back-to-backs suck, especially now due to load management issues. If you're going to see LeBron and LeBron sitting in street clothes that night, that, that's a ripoff to the fans. And that's why I was really disappointed in, in Trey sitting out with that calf issue against Brooklyn. 
There's, there's a lot of greats that would never let something like that keep them sidelined. And there's a lot of people that spent good money to go see Trey. Trey should have played that night. Pure and simple. That, that just didn't seem like that bad of an injury. But, uh, but I digress. So um, we got a lot, to, a lot more to get. We're going to get back into Georgia. We're just going to marinate in Georgia. Then the 10 o'clock hour, it's going to be nothing but frivolity, dude. We're going to do the index to stay in sports history and history in general. Of course, we're going to rank them as well. So the 10 o'clock hour, we're just going to kick off our shoes and relax. And, uh, it's going to be full of fun. Full of fun and frivolity in the rumpus room. <laughs> the rumpus room. The rumpus room. <laughs> so again, uh, Dean Pease is retired. Falcons looking for a defensive coordinator. Lots of good uh, candidates out there. And Dean Pease says that he doesn't expect to necessarily have a say, but I'm pretty sure Arthur Smith will probably pick up the phone and uh, consult with a guy who's been doing it for uh, 50 years. So we'll keep an eye on that. But we're going to come back. Make it two in a row for Georgia. How long will Kirby stay, a college coach? Why all the Stetson hatred? How does Stetson project on the next level? We're going to celebrate national title back-to-back for Georgia. Coming up next. Radio 92.9 The Game. A bunch of guys have stepped up. Their younger guys have stepped into their roles and, and done a great job. Our dogs went into SoFi Stadium and left winners. National champions again. Congratulations, dogs. From Sports Radio 92.9 The Game. Bring them out, bring them out. The Georgia Bulldogs bludgeoned their way to back-to-back. Glory, glory, Georgia, as the fight song says. Leaving no doubt. That's been the mantra. Welcome back. Georgia does it again. Back-to-back national championships. 65-7. Rob Tribble in for a John Chuckery. And it made me go back and, uh, you know, look up some of the biggest routes in sports history. 1940 NFL title game. The Bears beat the Redskins 73-0. Duke UNLV 1990, one of the most gratifying days of my sports watching career because I hated Duke with the heat of a thousand passions. And here's a little secret for you. Nobody hates the white guys that play basketball at Duke more than white guys who hate Duke. Trust me. That night, UNLV Duke beats Duke 103-73. But the next year, Duke got revenge and beat UNLV in the national semifinals. And that ended up being a Coach K's first of six national titles. 1990 Super Bowl. Remember, it seemed like for years the Super Bowl was a Super Bowl, route after route. 49ers 55, Broncos 10. Another one. George Foreman knocked out Joe Frazier, knocked him down six times in less than five minutes, the second round TKO. And George Foreman said, the only man in the ring that ever scared me was Joe Frazier. He liked to get hit, and he got offended if you didn't hit him hard enough. That's how crazy Joe Frazier was. Tiger Woods winning the 2000 U.S. Open by 15 strokes. Secretariat wins the Belmont by 31 links to take the uh, Triple Crown in 73. And I said this earlier, they they did an autopsy on Secretariat. His heart valves were like twice the size of other horses, so he had had like a 
a stock car race car engine in him compared to the other horses. So you mean to tell me he had extra horsepower? He had extra horsepower than the other, up, uh, than the other horses. Look at you add comedy <laughs> writing to your vast repertoire as researcher, intrepid producer, and now comedy writer. Amazing stuff. Here's Kirby Smart on going perfect this year, a perfect 15-0. and 0. The significance is there's no blemish. You know, I, I think, I don't know, I had four national championships at Alabama, and I don't think we had but one that was undefeated, and that one was really special. And it was like, you know, sometimes it takes a loss to, uh, like, galvanize and put your team in a spot to win. It did that last year, um, and it didn't take that. I always tell guys, do you have to take a loss to learn? I mean, why? You know, like, like it doesn't take that to learn that. And uh, this team was special because they didn't. They didn't have the flaw. They had, you know, two games in which – they, they, they came back in the fourth quarter, Missouri and Ohio State, with incredible comebacks and led by, you know, Stetson in the offense. So uh, it makes it more special, I think, when you come back and look at it because when you want to compare teams, you'll say, hey, look at this team. You know, there's some, some parts of me that think if the team last year played this year's team, last year's team probably had more talent on it. But this year's team was different. Like, they just had this eye of the tiger they weren't going to lose. Now – Will Pat Riley sue me if I say the word three-peat? He, he trademarked that. Did you know that? He trademarked did he really? It. Yes, he trademarked it. I did not know that. He coined it and trademarked it. Yes, yes, he did. Well, Georgia going for that next year. And what is the biggest challenge facing Kirby Smart now going forward? The biggest challenge is the same thing it is in all of the world. The world we live in today, it's society we live in, entitlement. So the minute that you think you're entitled to, to winning games and, and you don't have to work hard, Coach Dykes and I were talking about it, you know, the, the uphill battle for those guys is you think that you just inherit success. And uh, I personally think next year is going to be a much, much more difficult challenge over this year because we had so many guys leaving last year. Uh, we got a lot of guys coming back. Oh, and yes, you have about 75% of your roster coming back. Oh, and guess what? You have Dominic Lovick, Lovett, rep- He's a transferring from uh, Missouri, all SEC receiver with 80, 56 catches last year, 846 yards, three touchdowns. So you're bringing in Dominic Lovett, an all SEC receiver via transfer, and also Ra Ra Thomas from Mississippi State. So two really good receivers. Oh, and guess what? Lad McCockey's back next year. Brock Bowers is back for another year next year, as is uh, Darnell Washington. So who are your quarterback? Who's your quarterback going to be next year? Clearly, it's probably going to be Carson Beck, Brock Vandergriff. Your understudy, Carson Beck, got to play last night in the fourth quarter. So we'll see going from there. But one thing Georgia did: you limited a very explosive offense to seven points, and you played very well offensively. Of course, here's Kirby Smart giving a shout out to the uh, defensive scout team. Our defensive scout team did the most unbelievable job. When we got TCU, I called them all in. I had the coaches meet with them. We made them meet and become this defense, and we said we're going to do it better than they do it. You're going to watch tape. You're going to sit in here. You're going to learn how to do it. We had a guy, C.J. Allen, that was number six. He did it as good as they did it. We had Collins be 57. He did it as good as they did it. We had guys be their guys and do their defense exactly right. And to the last day we were walking through in there, they were given an unbelievable look. That set our offense up for success. Scout team makes a difference, and we had a hell of a scout team to give these guys a look. Why do you think we have Stetson Bennett? 
he did a better job of being Baker Mayfield than Baker Mayfield did a job of being Baker Mayfield. And that, that's why Stetson, in spite of the fact Todd Munkin and Kirby Smart, well-documented, said we, tr- we did everything we could to bury him, discourage him, make him quit. What did he do? Well, he gave it when he was on the scout team, he gave the defense a better look than their opposition gave them that particular weekend they were prepping for. So there's a lot to be uh, said for that. Rob, just a quick uh, side note on the game last night. I now have seen the video. I don't know if you've seen it yet. Apparently, some Georgia players were eating chicken wings on the. I saw that. <laughs> you know, at first I thought it was frog legs, which, which would have been really That would have been amazing. But they were eating chicken. Well, good. Yep. I mean, I love it. I, I was open. I was open when on Stetson Bennett. You know, Kirby called a timeout to give him a curtain call. I was hoping Stetson would come out, go on the sidelines, and psh, open up a beer, or smoke a cigar right there, or even right. light a cigarette. Light a damn <laughs> a, cigarette. Light a cigarette. <laughs> <laughs> and of course, on Stetson Bennett. Next segment, we're going to get into all the uh, Stetson Bennett hatred. But right now, he's been he's being considered. And Randy McMichael said it. He's the greatest bulldog of all. Not necessarily the most talented. Who do you think about when you think of Georgia football now? Vince Dooley, Kirby Smart, Herschel Walker, and Stetson Bennett. Here's what Stetson has to say about the notion of perhaps being the greatest Georgia quarterback ever. I don't. I mean, there's so many different variables that go in. You know, scheme, players around you. I mean, you know, I've, I've been with Monk for three years. Uh, we, we, we brought back pretty much the entire core of our offense from last year, so we were all clicking. So, I don't know. We had a really good offense. Uh, I, it makes me proud, um, you know, of what I've accomplished when I hear that because it means I've done some things right, but I don't know if it's accurate or not. You know, we've had Mur- – I grew up watching Murray and Stafford and, you know, Shock and Green and, and you know, who's to say? Those, those dudes were all, I mean, amazing. And the funny thing is, and Randy McMichael's talking about this, when we saw that picture of Stetson Bennett in the barbershop getting his hair cut with all the other brothers, a brother cutting his hair, he became a Stiquavius Bennett, right? Everybody knew he was, everybody knew it was, was going to be his night. But um, I'm telling you, just what a night last night. Pretty sure Stiquavius is undefeated. Stiquavius is undefeated. And think about what this kid has accomplished. MVPs in uh, both championship games, and I think MVPs in both semifinal victories. So he always comes to play when the spotlight is the brightest, unlike TCU, who the light was a little bit too bright for them last night. And here's our Kirby Smart. He said it was a big day when this particular gentleman decided to come back. And I'm going to tell you another important day was about three days from right now last year when he came in my office and he said, I'm trying to decide if I'm going to come back or ride off in the wind. He goes, I don't understand. Everybody's telling me that I should just ride off in the sunset and be the legendary quarterback that won a national title. And he said, that's just not who I am. And he's like, I, I, don't, I don't get it. Why should I do that when I have an opportunity to play again? Like, like why, why, why don't we go win it again? And, you know, I'm kind of thinking, well, that'd be nice, but we lost 15 draft picks. I mean, it might not be that easy this time. And uh, he had full conviction that he wanted to come back and – Go opposite of the mainstream. Yes, he did. And I wonder if part of Kirby wanted him to go away last year. And I know, but guess what? For you, for you faction of Bulldog fans, well, you finally get Carson back next year. I know you still miss JT Daniels. I know you still miss him. Where is he going? Like his fifth school? 
Then he uh, is he transferring to Rice from West Virginia or something like that? I think that's where he's somewhere. Yeah, I, yeah. I can't remember. I can't keep up at this point. I mean, I remember last year when uh, Stetson was announced as the opening day, opening day starter. You hear a, you hear a smattering of boos inside a uh, Sanford Stadium. But um, j- just amazing, absolutely amazing. And here's um Kirby Smart talking about what. The University of Georgia means to him and how it's defined him. I wouldn't be who I am today without the University of Georgia. I was lucky to go to get a chance to go to University of Georgia, you know, and, and I want to give back to a place that has meant so much to my life and to my family's life and has given so much to us. So I don't think you can do that without honoring them with how you work and the standard you try to set. And that's, that's my selling point. Well, one thing about Georgia that's a poor selling point is that schedule next year. Have you seen this schedule, Dylan? It's ridiculous. September 2nd, you opening up against UT Martin. Oh, don't worry. Don't worry. Be patient because next week, Ball State comes to Athens. Oh, man. Then you get South Carolina and then UAB. Now, wow. UAB's not trash, so to speak, but come on. And I, I think, no match. <laughs> I think originally Georgia is supposed to have a home and home with Oklahoma, but got put on the back burner as Oklahoma makes a transition to the uh, SEC. Right. But come on. This is a joke of a schedule. UT Martin, Ball State, UAB. Three of the first four are cupcakes. Then after that, you go to Auburn. You got Kentucky coming to Athens. You go to Nashville to take on Vanderbilt. I'm sorry, Nashville. You got to say it right. Then, of course, you get an off then your bye week on October 21st, and then the 28th, you go to Jacksonville. Missouri comes to town on November 4th. Then Ole Miss comes to Athens, and you go to Tennessee, and you're at Georgia Tech. And Brent Key is uh, making some noise, putting his staff together. He's gotten some players from the transfer portal. Georgia Tech certainly hired the right guy. We, we know that for a fact, and I, I hope they're relevant sooner rather than later. But there's some uh, financial realities at Georgia Tech. Apparently, Georgia Tech is still paying off buildings they built at the turn of the century yeah they are they're oh wow triple with debt yep and about i think about 15 percent of that the money they bring in has to go to pay off that stuff and i guess Jeez. those buildings are probably outdated by now too right <laughs> but this schedule is an absolute joke and I, I hope at some point we don't we don't have to see these and yes i know we see what the Sun Belt conference did last year we saw georgia southern Get Scott Frost fired in Nebraska. We saw App State beat Texas A&M. We saw Marshall beat Notre Dame. But it's still a rarity, and nobody wants to see that. Nobody wants to see Ball State. Nobody wants to see UAB. Nobody wants to see UT Martin. I don't even think those players' families want to go to those games. It's a joke. That schedule's an absolute joke. But what are you going to do? But as for last night, though, uh, Stetson Bennett reflects on the bond that that group has in that locker room. I don't know. I, I think the coolest thing to me is in 20 years when this is cool to us, we all come back and we're talking about how Bull intercepted that ball before the half and then I threw it AD for a touchdown, right? That's the coolest thing because this team loves each other. I mean, when Coach Smart says he's never had a group like this, obviously I've never – I hadn't been in, in this – Whatever. He's right. We love each other. Every single person on this team would do anything for each other. And, you know, it's a special group, man. That's 
It's DeQuavius Bennett. <laughs> and I still miss Kayvon Herter, too. Red Velvet, by the way, for the Hawks. His offense would have been valuable this year. We're going to come back. How much longer does Kirby want to deal with the grind that is college football? What about Stetson Bennett on the next level? And one radio host, he's a legendary guy in our business, but he has a buffoonish, clownish take that he should have kept to himself, but I think that's impossible for someone like him who has little or no impulse control. Rob Tribble in for Chuckery Sports Radio 1999 The Game. Sports Radio 92.9 The Game. Congratulations to our dogs, the national champions for the second time in a row. Touchdown, Georgia! Way to go, dogs, from Sports Radio 92.9 The Game. So why all these Stetson Bennett hate? Rob Tribbling for John Chuckery with you till 11 o'clock. Hawks and uh, Bucks tomorrow night, meaning I have the night off tomorrow night. Not a bad thing. But Stetson Bennett just getting all sorts of uh, hate online. Oh, the guy's 25. Oh, he's 35 with two kids. He's the same age as Tom Brady. All the lame stuff. And, of course, we know Stetson Bennett's uh, story. A preferred walk-on at Georgia. Really, really under-recruited out of uh, Blackshear, Georgia. And here's what uh, Stetson had to say about um, those that are under-recruited. You know, if you are an under-recruited guy, you are an under, like, yeah, soak that up, but, like, you still got to be the best. Go, like, be spiteful out there. Be, be a dog. Like, you, you got to. Um, hopefully, hopefully, hopefully in, in you know, 15, 15 years, there's, there's some kid out there who's being a stud, and uh, he, he remembers watching us play. Well, isn't that kind of him to pass on that knowledge? But he's right, though. Just and, and that's the thing about it, with, and especially a lot of young players. I was guilty of this when I played sports. I'd kind of pout if I didn't feel like I was getting enough playing time. But you got to be ready at all times because you never know when your number is going to be called. It's happened a lot. But for some reason, people have this issue with Stetson being 25 years old. Like, that gives him this prohibitive advantage over everybody else, this unfair competitive advantage because he's 25. Well, Mad Dog Russo, who is a legend in this business, he's one of the first guys to do it, but he's a bit of a buffoon, especially with this take. I have a, not a little problem, I have a major problem with Stetson Bennett, 25 years of age, playing college football. I can see it for one year. Last year he won, uh, you know, Burrow was 23, going on 24, and he won. But 25 years of age, playing quarterback for Georgia, he should have left after last year. I didn't know that he was that old. And I understand we have punters who are 50 from Australia punting. I have a problem with a 25-year-old playing against 19-year-old kids. I had a problem with Wenicke doing it for Florida State when he won the Heisman. I didn't vote for him for that reason. And I understand that Bennett's story is a hell of a story. We all know about the walk-on and told to leave and everything else. I, I understand that. But he's older than 10 NFL quarterbacks. He's older than Justin Herbert, Jalen Hurts. He's the same age as Lamar Jackson. And it's not like he didn't win last year. He won last year. So it's not like you could say, well, you know what? He hasn't won anything. What, what, what good has it done him? Uh, what good has it done? He hasn't won a chance. He won the championship last year. 
I have a problem with it. That's me. I know a lot of people in Athens, especially, who don't like won't like that take. I got a major problem, and I did not know about it. So that's a bad job on my part. But you know, what is the how? What if you're forty, you can play? What is the cutoff date? When do we sit there and watch a college athlete and say, you know what, this is ridiculous. He's this old playing against a bunch of 19, 20-year-old kids? This is absurd. I mean, when does that get to a scenario where it gets to be a joke? 30? What is the age? I mean, there's got to be an age where enough already. 31? When do we begin to think that a guy with an 11-year age experience has a has a physical and a mental advantage over his over his um, his competitors? And I think that Bennett at um, at 25 for Georgia with all that talent. I mean, the kids are pro. Kids got a chance to be a pro quarterback. If Brock Purdy can play in the NFL, so can he. But I have a problem with a kid. He's not a kid. With a man at 25 years of age playing college football. I got a quarterback. What's that 31-year-old doing tackling that 22-year-old NFL quarterback? Right? Same thing applies, doesn't it? Come on. First of all, there is no age limit to play sports in college. Missouri's quarterback, Jack Abram. Abraham, 25 years old. John I have a Clifford. major problem you know, with Stetson Bennett, up. 25 years of age. Shut up, Russo, mad dog, with your hot takes. I have a major problem <laughs> with Sean Clifford at Penn State, 25. FBS has a dozen seventh-year players and even an eighth-year player. Oklahoma State's uh, punter is an Australian, 29 years old. So what? It's like I said earlier, though. A statue has never been erected in honor of a critic. But Stetson Bennett's going to have his statue, certainly. It was funny listening to Andy Randy talk about what would his statue be? Would it be him doing the uh, the phone pantomime at, at, during the Tennessee game? Because you remember during the Tennessee before the Tennessee game, somebody gave out his cell phone number, and he got bombarded by thousands of calls. Apparently, uh, Stetson got rid of his uh, flip phone and upgraded to an Apple, too, by the way. So good for him on that. So, As far as the next level... Stetson Bennett, probably a sixth, seventh rounder. Some people say five. Above average arm, they say. I think he's more athletic than people give him credit for. His stature could be a problem at 5'11", 190. could get killed. But I think he's going to have a pretty good career as a backup. And it would never surprise me, knowing this guy and the knack he has in big moments, if he's a backup on a team in the playoffs, the starter gets hurt, he comes in and leads him to a, a win in a playoff game or even a Super Bowl. I can see him doing that. But here's our Kirby Smart, and uh, he thinks Stetson certainly deserves a chance to play on Sundays. When you got a quarterback that can do the protections and check things and know what the defense is doing, but yet still beat you with your feet, you got a high-level quarterback. And people have slept on Stetson Bennett for too long. He needs an opportunity to play for a long time at the next level. And trust me, if we, we see guys like Nathan Peterman, Skylar Thompson, remember we were joking last week, Skylar Thompson sounds like the starting point guard for uh, Gino Ariama's UConn women's team. <laughs> Colt McCoy, he's been in the league for 15 years. He's 36, doesn't play very often, but he's made $40 million, though. And guess what? He's going to get out of football probably with all of his marbles, too, unlike a lot of guys, unfortunately. Jake Locker, two guys like that. Brock Purdy, you mentioned him, he's playing well. I could see Stetson being Mr. Irrelevant, actually carving out a decent career as a backup and has some moments. 
And maybe with his uh, unique skill set, and it is pretty unique, they could uh, scheme things and RPO with him or something like that. I don't know. His arm's better than you give it credit for. So we'll see what happens. As for Kirby, though, I mean, the realities of college football now, it's a never-ending grind. I guarantee after the game last night, what's Kirby doing recruiting? He's doing something. He's, he's looking towards next year. And remember, coming out of uh, the COVID fiasco in June of 2021, Kirby admitted, I was ready to walk away and resign. I was just so tired of the process. And uh, he's admitted, he said, is it possible to have a healthy work-life balance? He said, absolutely not. And he was complaining earlier. He says, I basically have no life. And Dylan, I like the way you put it. He makes all this money, but he doesn't have any time to spend it, right? He said, go out and buy a boat where he could never get on that boat, right? That's why I think there's a chance Kirby might want to test the NFL waters. I think it might be three years before he does it. He's still – he's 46. I can see when he's 50 maybe wondering because I think he's probably got one more natty in him over the next few years. You can't take it for granted that they're going to win it next year. And I'll tell you why. Last night – and Nick Saban is brilliant on the set, by the way. I know he's going to probably coach till they, they, they plan him. But last night – I think David Pollock, one of the greatest Bulldogs ever, I think he accidentally, unintentionally awakened a sleeping giant in Nick Saban. Because everybody's thinking now, well, the game's passed him by and Georgia's now the premier program in the country. Well, you do realize that Nick Saban had the uh, top-ranked recruiting class in college football last year, Georgia coming in at number two. But here's what uh, David Pollock said, and I think he had probably – may have done Georgia a disservice by doing this. Take a listen. And, and Georgia, obviously, you've seen in the past couple seasons now, really, they've taken hold of college football. They've done an unbelievable job. Uh, this is a young football team. This isn't an old football team with a bunch of guys losing. Now, listen, the NFL can take its chunk out of any team. but Said that with Nick Saban sitting right next to him. And watch the video. Nick Saban just looks straight ahead. No expression on his face, but you know inside – that enraged him to the point where I wouldn't be surprised if Alabama's right back in that title game next year at the expense of Georgia, maybe. I guarantee you, never underestimate that because Nick Saban's one of the most vicious competitors out there. He's proven it with that GOAT resume as his. And I just hope David Pollack did not do Georgia a disservice because I guarantee you that's going to motivate Nick Saban. I think I wouldn't be surprised if the Alabama facility – they play that video clip on a loop where those, where those players have to look at this every day now up until the opener next year. I would not be surprised if that does that. But think about this as far as a, a college what coach goes. The poison that you put out there this week was yummy. <laughs> One of my favorite all-time, the rat poison. That's what I'm giving you four hours of rat poison tonight as I fill in for a John Chuckery. But the thing is, I can see Kirby burning out because he already said, I don't really have a life. None of us coaches really get to have a life. And as a college coach, you have so many other responsibilities. You have a responsibility to the alumni and the boosters, the administration. You have to go out and do the uh, rubber chicken circuit, as they call it, where you uh, talk to booster clubs and all that stuff, and you have to glad hand and be a bit of a CEO. Meanwhile, in the NFL, if you're a head coach, guess what you concentrate on doing? Coaching. That's it. That's why I wonder 
if this grind, especially now with the new realities of college football with the NILs and the transfer portals, and, you know, God bless those kids. Make your money. Go where you want to go. But it has created a really chaotic, exhausting environment if you're a coach. And a lot of coaches have left the profession because of that. And I wouldn't be surprised if Kirby ends up going to the NFL in a few years. 2019, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers wanted to talk to him. Of course, we know he didn't end up going to Tampa Bay. But I guarantee you right now, I wonder if the Denver Broncos have called him. I wonder if the Houston Texans have called him. Arizona Cardinals have called him. But Arizona may think, well, we just tried the college coach route and with Cliff Kingsbury. And I don't necessarily know if Kirby would want to go to the NFL. I just wouldn't be surprised with the new realities of college football and how it's a, a 27-hour-a-day job now. So it would not surprise me one bit. How about Sean McVay possibly walking away? He can go into the booth and make uh, $30 million a year, though. He'd be brilliant because he's a brilliant guy, handsome dude. He'll look good on TV and all the stuff. But would it be something, though, since Sean McVay, of course, is from here, went to Marist. He was a player of the year ahead of Calvin Johnson when he was a senior in high school, led Marist to a state championship as their wishbone quarterback. He's a good player, pretty good college player. Wouldn't it be something, though, if Arthur Smith ever goes away, Sean McVay takes a leave of absence, then he gets to come and take over his hometown Falcons. And I don't want Arthur Smith to go, though. But I'm just saying, I'm just thinking out loud. You know how it is. I'm, I'm sitting with a microphone. Spitballing. I know, I'm spitballing. That's exactly what I'm doing. If you throw, throw enough crap, something's going to stick, right? <laughs> but I do have a microphone in front of me, so it's my job to at least give you some sort of a vowel movement, right? But that, that'd be interesting. But as for Kirby, though, and I don't think a, a three-peat is guaranteed by any stretch of the imagination. But I got to tell you, though, you bring in an all-SEC receiver from Missouri and Dominic Lovett and Ra-Ra Thomas, Lad McConkey's coming back, Brock Bowers, Darnell Washington, 75%. Of your lineup. And you know that offensive line is going to be as stout as it always is. You know, one five-star graduates, one five-star goes to the NFL, plug in a four-star and a five-star. I mean, this is a machine. This is a freight train rolling down the down the tracks right now. And, of course, anything can happen next year, though. But with that horrible schedule, though, UT Martin, UAB, Ball State, Three of the first four games against that nonsense? You ought to be ashamed of yourself. All right, we're going to come back top of the hour and do an index. Lots of numbers associated with lots of things. Triple in for Chuckery, Sports Radio, 1990 Game.